Welcome to the Not Bane podcast, your weekly rundown of UK politics from a black millennial view. Every Sunday, join Corey and me, Bay, your resident centre lefty, as we look at Parliament, the headlines and stories from across the pond and the diaspora. Welcome back. We uh, we were off last week since Parliament was off. How was your week off? It was restful. I yeah. enjoyed it. How about you? I don't remember. All of the weeks just rolled into one. <laughs> I don't True. everything's rolls into one these days. I don't know what I was doing last Mine week. Means that nothing. was different. Exactly. But Parliament's back. We're back. So I did catch up on my weekly fix of PMQs this Wednesday. Yeah. The, the newly shaved Boris Johnson set up opposite the former of the former director of public prosecutions himself. The right honourable kid. Top Thomas. cop kid. Top cop yeah. kid. Yeah, Boris has had a haircut. Still looks like a mess, just a slightly shorter mess. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't understand it. Like his hair looks, it's, it's a, it's a mop. It's a mop. It's, it's a mop. It's, it's his mop. brand. Remember when he got that that decent haircut when it was pretty short, and people were like, "Oh, he's taking life a bit seriously." Yeah, yeah that's, that's what he means. That. I mean, like, mm. it, it just looks a mess. But anyway, it's not my problem. My hair's nice and shaved today. So, <coughs> I um, Keir was very happy this week. I've ne- I've never seen your boy so giddy. He was quite giddy, um, smiling, laughing, calling Bojo ridiculous. He was in his bag this week. Mm. But the main thing he was um, piling on was with regards to all things sleaze with the revelations this week of David Cameron and his, his, well, not this week, it's sort of come out over the past couple of weeks, but a lot has dropped this week regarding how he was lobbying Rishi Sunak for bailout funds for a company that he now works, well, doesn't now work at, the company's gone bust. Uh, Mm. So we will, uh, we're going to be talking about that in this week's main course. But Mm -hmm. the, uh, so the part of Prime Minister's questions that I did want to point um, point two was the MP for Liverpool, Kim Johnson. He's one of the BAMES, one of the BAME MPs in Parliament. <clears throat> and um, <laughs> I, I, the reason I wanted to talk about what she said was because it follows on from our last show. We were talking about the Race and Ethnic Disparities Commission and the report that came out a couple of weeks ago, the now much derided report. <clears throat> much derided. And- so she raised she raised that report. She asked she asked Bojo two questions. She asked him if uh, if it's true that the government had a hand in editing the final report because after the report came out and actually after we recorded our last show, there were some revelations that or accusations, let's say, that the government sort of edited the report because obviously the report was drawn up by you know independent commissioners can we call them independent yeah independent commissioners and they were somewhat yeah i mean they were appointed by the government but it was a sort of separate body anyway there were accusations that after the commissioners compiled the report the government uh sources people within government went and basically edited it so she asked him about that Mm -hmm. she asked him about that he 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 dodged that question uh and she asked him a second question asking him whether uh, he, the government would withdraw their withdraw the report. <clears throat> His response, though, I found quite interesting because it wasn't sort of the standard. It, it wasn't what I expected. I don't think it's what most people would have expected, whichever side of the fence you land on with regards to the report. 
And he, he, I found it quite interesting that the first thing he said was, of course, we don't agree with everything in the report. And it's not so much him saying we don't agree with everything. It's the, of course, um, which I think is quite telling, um, whichever way you look at it. Well, yes, he didn't say which parts. So I do look forward to, he said in due, in due course, there is going to be a government response to the report. So I do look forward to that response. Um, I don't, my hopes are not entirely uh you know high because i would like that report to be i would like that response to be a line by line either um affirmation or refutation of the points of the report i doubt we're going to get something that that uh juicy but uh, i do look forward to the response hopefully it'll be more than just you know a few paragraphs of mealy mouth nothingness um but i found it very interesting the way he added in (laughs) well he added in of course we don't agree with it all uh, you know, and then you know various platitudes about he hopes young you know they want young black people to have better more jobs and more education etc etc etc. So that was an interesting question to him regarding that report. I do wonder what the of course would be referring to. As you said, I don't think there's going to be a line by line refutation because who's reading all of that again? Um, it was interesting to see some whistle quote unquote whistleblowers coming out. You know, and saying, I think, but what's interesting is that they only came up because it's been so widely derided and it's been continually derided as well. And I wonder if people hadn't been so constantly vocal about it, if these people would have come out at all, if they were just happy to, you know, be considered, get a little check and put their name on a government report. So, I mean, the turnaround even, you know, was lacks any sort of in-depth research. I mean, it happened in what, two, three months? It's not possible. So one sign as to what he might have meant by that, of course, we don't agree with it all, because he made a, a comment either immediately before that or immediately after in relation to there being racism, racism being uh, a thing. He didn't say a thing, but that was the effect of racism still being a thing. So maybe he was just responding to how some people have said, some people have characterized a report of saying, as saying there's no racism in Britain today. I mean, the report said they found no evidence of institutional racism, but we don't need to pass the words again this week. Maybe that's what he was referring to. Maybe it wasn't anything more than that. Um, It would be very interesting if it was more than just the fact that he's saying, of course, we think there is racism. It would be interesting to see if there were specifics of the report that he would categorically deny. Uh, But that may have been a sign as to what he was referring to, because he immediately spoke about there being racism in the UK today. So for the first topic of the week, not exactly a political story per se, um, considering, but considering it has had uh, an effect on the briefings and the yes, it has what we've it's been so getting from political. politicians. Yeah, it has Absolutely. had an effect on has had an effect on politics this week, including you know bringing Parliament back early, seven and a half hours of um, you can call it debate, I guess you call it seven and a half hours of tributes on on Monday. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, it does touch on the head of state. So uh, we are Absolutely. talking about the passing last Friday of Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh. Prince Philip Indeed. died on Friday um, at the age of 99. The longest served consort to a British monarch in history. Indeed. Only th- three, two months shy of his 100th birthday, which, which apparently he was not particularly looking forward to. Um, famously, really? uh, 
Well, yeah, well, famously, he's, he's a guy who just didn't like fuss, um, which I think is quite interesting. Obviously, people would look at the royals mm. and look at all the pageantry and think, oh, they must love it. They pomp must live for it. Yeah, all the pomp Absolutely. and ceremony, I'm sure. And I'm sure many of them do. Uh, but he famously had no time for it. That came out, mm. as I said, in his not looking forward to, you know, the, the fuss, which I believe he was referring to it, of his upcoming 100th birthday uh also i guess that can be seen in many of the remarks he's famous for you know and not really having much time for the press i was watching a video i was watching a video where he uh i think there was some photograph he was taking with other war veterans a couple of years ago and the photographers were taking a while to take the picture and he uh at the age of probably what 97 i don't exactly imagine 97 year old speaking like he did just told the photographer to take the effing picture um so so yeah he was yes, uh, he a did. man clearly yeah, he was well yeah i mean i mean, mm. I mean you know what do we say i know you're you're very much uh very much a republican very much anti-monarchy so i don't know i don't know how you received the news like how how did you take it and not not I so much the news it. but you know the, the effect and you know everything else I took it as a man who had been ill for a while. He was 99 years old, had died. You know, he was the Queen's husband, you know. Um, The things I think for me that are most memorable about Prince Philip are his, what he's known for, as I believe the the BBC called it, his gaffes, some frosty or forthright remarks. I'm not going to repeat them. We all know what he's I think they just. For. I think they just about managed to sneak in racial undertones. I don't even think they got that far. I mean, some no. of his... No, they were just out and out racist, some of the things he said. Mm-hmm. But but yes, go on. No, that's, that's you know, all I have to say. How old is the Queen? She is 90... She was 90... That was... No, 95 this year. That was what was coming. Do you think she'll think? live to be 100? I, that's what I think. I do wonder, you know, do you think the Queen will live to be 100? Well, I mean, her, her mother, her mother made it, so you know. Yeah, she did after 104. That much I do remember. Yes, yeah, you know, her mother made it. So, so yeah, so I guess it feels like a dry run for when the Queen is going to die, which I imagine will become. It will be much more of a hit to mm. public life, and this had yeah. this has been interesting to see because it's been so long since we've had anything sort of in terms of the royal family other than royal yeah. weddings yeah. and sort of big levers and how the the public and the news and the politics will deal with the change is really interesting like the yeah. idea that there's going to be a coronation in our lifetime that we're going to get to see is mm-hmm. wild um I think as well so how because I know you were saying this story actually is quite political because it has had a big impact on at least the politics of this week in so far mm-hmm. as you know a lot of regular government business has not taken place um you know, still yeah yeah it really has so i think that that will be and i think especially in the time of a pandemic i don't know how wise that is um you know especially there's not been any exactly mm. there's not been any covid press conferences mm. and we just had the, the second stage of us starting yeah. to open up and we're not hearing anything there's been yeah. rumors about supposedly the r rate rising and then there's another story that the r rate isn't rising Please, can Chris Whitty come out and like show us some powerpoints? We'd like to know what's yeah, going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's, 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 you know, we can do, you can do, you can do National Morning and still have uh, geography teacher Chris Whitty on the TV. You know, I think we can do Absolutely. both. Absolutely. I you know, mean, um, and it's an opportunity for them to hide from scrutiny as well at mm. a time where 
the blatant cronyism is arising to the surface. Did you watch, uh, as I was saying, there was seven and a half hours in Parliament was called, Parliament will call back, recall the date early. Mm. They were supposed to come back on Tuesday after their Easter break, came back on Monday for seven and a half hours of tributes. Did you catch any of it? What do you think? Yeah, I'm trolling. I know you didn't catch a second. <laughs> I did. I checked in. I checked in the BBC Parliament for a few minutes, about 15 minutes on Monday. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was sort of standard. How fare, long really. was everyone's, yeah, like how long was everybody's statement? Was some people go, going in? I or... turned off because some people were just going on, like, there were a couple of MPs were just like, I was like, okay, this yeah, is just, just, yeah, it was, it was getting a bit boring. Not boring. Was... I mean, boring in the sense that it was, it was just a bit too, it just felt, it just felt forced just felt forced. I think that's, some of it yeah. felt forced. Of Not course. all of it. Some of it just felt forced. None of you knew this guy outside of, you know, seeing him briefly in the public sphere, maybe on mm. telly or at a few engagements. You don't know him. Like, that's not your mate. Yeah. So. I think, though, one thing about Philip, though, or Prince Philip, um, was that I think one thing to, one thing to um, remember is that he was actually quite an outsider. And I found that quite interesting this week. I did know a bit of it, but not, um, we found out a bit more because obviously it's been wall to wall TV. Like they really didn't, the, the powers that be didn't want him to, didn't want the queen to marry him. Um, they saw him as sort of just like basically. When they got married. He was, she wasn't the queen. Okay, whatever, the princess. They didn't, yeah, he wasn't welcomed because they thought he was no. a bit too, they didn't think he was good enough. Um, and he was quite, and he, in his day, apparently he was quite a modernizer. Like, you know, obviously. I guess by the standards of the fifties compared to now, you know, um, so I found that quite interesting because, you know, we are drawn, if you think about it though, like we, we are drawn to people who seem outsiders when it comes to royalty. Um, we, the public generally are quite drawn to people who are outsiders or seen as not wanted, you know, Princess Diana, um, Meghan Markle were drawn to those figures. So I guess if, you know, thinking about him as that kind of person, you know, back in the day before we were around, um, yeah, I think it's quite interesting to put him in that line, in that line of tradition as I mean, of an outsider. As much as a third cousin and Greek aristocracy can be an outsider, sure. Well, I mean, you know, you and me will never, you and me don't, aren't even on these people's radar. You know, mm. when I say outsider, it's, it's relative, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So we're in the run-up to the Hartlepool by-elections. And Everybody knew that, right? Been... It's big news. Uh, Everybody knows about Hartlepool by-elections. Is it big news? I don't know. Maybe it's... Is it? Are I'm, you being facetious? I'm being very sarcastic. Like, you can see <laughs> me. You can see me. I'm being very sarcastic. Come on. Anyway. Oh, ahead. well, if you didn't know, the Hartlepool by-elections are up because the former MP quit. So... Or stepped down, sorry, is the correct term, has stepped why down. Did, why did the former MP of Hartlepool step down? Where even remember. is Hartlepool? Can you, I mean, I, I know because I'm a cultured northerner, but most of our listeners are probably from the dirty south. So can you explain to your fellow south southerners where Hartlepool is, since you lot don't know anything above the Watford Gap? <laughs> it's in the northerly direction. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Ridiculous. Corey, go and tell us where Hartlepool is as you king of the geography. I've, you know, go Hartlepool. Hartlepool's in the north. Hartlepool is in the northeast. Oh, oh, that's what I said, didn't well, I? No, you said the north. Hartlepool. Corey, okay. I do not know where the east of anything is. What does what direction is Hartlepool east is in way? County Durham. It's in the northeast. I mean, for okay, for most people, just think Newcastle and go a bit higher up. 
there we go great stuff yeah so I think what has that everyone's talking about Hartlepool because some people think it's you know the first sort of election which will give us an idea on how Keir's leadership is being received uh Keir Starmer supporters and you know PLP etc that's the parliamentary Labour Party um are sort of saying no it isn't a reflection on Keir's performance so far we can't take everything we can't take polling into account because you know polling is famously run by right-wing groups that's well, that's one. That's so one they're trying to. So they're hedging. They're hedging on both sides. On one side, they're, they're hedging saying. On both sides. One side, they're saying, if we lose, it's not Keir's fault. If we, um, oh, but also because it looks like we're going to lose, but we might actually win because the polls are wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. like... But also, you know, the polls are wrong. But there's two. There's different types of polls. The polls are wrong from YouGov because you know it's the Tories. It's the Tories. But also there's yes, some yes, everything. Everything's poll. everything's run by the right wing, isn't it? Right wing media, right wing. Oh gosh, right wing polls. And the left wing polls are also skewed because the um the pool the pool that they're taking polls from is too small. So either way, it's not Keir's fault. I'm not. To be fair to Keir, I'm not a hundred percent sure that this will be a sort of an election on his leadership, just because um, Hartlepool has been skewing towards the Tories since 2004 in terms that Labour has slowly been losing their um, vote share. It's been getting smaller and smaller. And then wow. there was there was also, we should take into account that 2019 was very much a Brexit vote. And so those the Tory um, vote was split because obviously the Brexit party was standing mm. in the last election as well. So mm. there's that to take into account. I've got a few stats here, which I think are interesting. 25% of Hartlepool is over 65. So that means it could be leaning blue. Mm-hmm. Also, they resoundingly voted to leave as well. Um, now that Brexit's gone, those voters might go back to Labour or now that they've not voted Labour once, they might feel less inclined to vote for them again. But if you think about I... it, oh, sorry, sorry to cut you, those, so you're saying... Yeah, uh, 25% of the voters in Hartlepool are um, over 65. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how old were those people 35 years ago? You know, math is not much. 30, right? 30. Those people were 30. Those people oh, were like coming up during during Thatcher, during peak Thatcher was when they were like, exactly. you know, late 20s. So, and obviously considering which part of the country it is, it surprises me, it would surprise me if, if there would be, I mean, I know you said there's been a, the Labour vote share has been been falling for the past sort mm-hmm. of fifteen years. You, you said, but mm-hmm. you know, just I'm just thinking about when those people were were coming up. You know, forming probably so. forming their political opinions that they still Absolutely. have now were during the, the middle of the eighties. This is my thought. Well, this is the thing. So it is, but you know, people's politics change as they get older, as they begin to own houses, as demographics of the country change, and all of those things might be a lot uh, uh, have a stronger pull than Thatcher hatred or being anti-Thatcher. I would think that it wouldn't be, mm-hmm. but I'm also not an over 65 year old white person. But then again, mm. I mean, I should, I, I mean, what I'm saying, I guess I'm kind of 
what I'm saying doesn't really not doesn't make sense, but my my that theory was disproved last year because all those people who voted voted Tory for the first time in a century, um, yeah. you know, they also came up under Thatcher. So yeah, you know, things change. But I do think we have to take into account that the previous election was a Brexit vote because half of the Labour Party were pushing for a second refer- second referendum, a rejoin True. people's vote. So True. I think it is extremely hypocritical of those people who were pushing that argument to then sort of be saying, oh, well, that it was an indictment of the, the party politics and that actually the Labour should be fighting this in the centre with the Tories rather than fighting for people who don't vote or undecided voters. So I don't think not that many undecided voters, but um, for people who don't vote, who aren't inclined to vote and can't be bothered, they're, I, they're I much know, easier I think, to I think, win over. I, I, I agree with that, though, to, to a degree, because, I mean, the Overton window has gone right. So yes, it, absolutely. It, it makes sense, for it does make sense for Labour to tack more to the centre. It makes sense on paper. I don't think it'll actually work, but it does make sense on paper for them to do that. Exactly, because Labour can't, unless Labour are going to be more right-wing than the Tories, they're never going to win that fight. They cannot, you can Labour cannot meet the Tories at the right and win. They just don't have, they don't have, they don't have the policies, they don't have the politics, they don't have the membership for it, you know, and they will lose because um, Conservatives do better right-wing than the than Labour ever do, ever will. And this new sort of p- policing stick that they're on now, I mean, we'll see how well that goes down. Well, they were encouraging, as Boris said this week uh, to Keir Starmer, they were encouraging people to kill the bill. So, you know, as he put it. The bill has yet to be killed. So. Well, I don't know. What, do you th- what are your predictions on, on, on the by-election? Who do you... Who do you think is going to come out on top? I don't believe in predictions, as you know, the politics people say. Um, I really don't know, to be honest. I'm unsure. What do you think I'm it means? Unsure. What do you think it means in 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 the medium term for Labour to lose it? I I think in the medium term it means that. Keir has to make a decision about what he's doing, but I wonder if they'll take it as it means they need to move further to the right and they need to up what they think are Red Wall policies, or I think that's 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 how they'll take it if they lose. They won't they won't see it as any other way because they don't think that you know vegans exist up north or that people do yoga and all that sort of stuff that they associate with the metropolitan elite, which in and of itself is stereotyping nonsense. Oh, there's lots of vegans up here. My, uh, my regular, of my re- one of my, uh, my, my favorite store is uh, full of your, your vegan stuff. That's all they sell. <laughs> I go <laughs> oh, there for my is, fruits this, and vegetables. This stereotype of the red warm person or, you know, is reductive and not useful. There's a plethora of political thought out there yeah is, is there though listen overton windows gone right it yeah. makes no sense for so what are labor going to do that it they either stay in the kind of weird sort of sort of center where they are now ish not quite jezza but just not quite right like the tories that weird space or they just go right um i'd go right but that's just me 
Of course you would. No, I don't mean, I, I mean, I mean purely from a strategic point, viewpoint. I don't have any opinions. I have no political opinions. I'm talking purely oh, from indeed. strategy, purely from strategy. I go right. Strategy wise, I hear what you're saying, but I also think that whoever are the policy advisors and the political advisors that Keir has got around him are not savvy enough to pull off the right the right switch. They just they don't have the range. You don't go. You don't try and outright the Tories, but you still exactly. tack right. Still tack right. Relatively yeah. from tack, where they are. Tack right by talking about ASBOs in twenty twenty one. That's what you're doing. You've got to go right on the right things. I <laughs> see what I did there. <laughs> anyway, let's go to our main course. So for the main course this week, we are going to be discussing Greensill Gate. Nobody's called it Greensill Gate yet. What are they doing? Everything has gate after it. This scandal doesn't have its gate yet. Yet We call it Cameron Gate? Not even Cameron Gate. Anyway, Cameron Gate. Cameron Gate. I I need to copyright that before the media use that on Monday. So, yes, of course, we are going to be talking about the latest scandal to hit British politics, which has been developing over the past few weeks, really but come to a head in the past week, 10 days. And that is David Cameron, who is our, I was going to say last prime minister, but he wasn't the last prime minister, was he? Because we had uh, Theresa May in between. Um, he was the prime Theresa May. <laughs> our Theresa. Bad girl TT. Bad girl TT, as I used to call her. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, then she just suddenly went weak. Anyway, this is about Theresa May. It's about David Cameron. David Cameron, who was the prime minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland between 2010 and 2016. Who famously, oh who famously or infamously brought about the Brexit referendum and then jumped ship as soon as we voted out, weasel. Um, he has been in the news this week because he uh, was a employee, and we'll come on to that later. It's a very key word, that employee of the company Greensill Capital. So Greensill mm-hmm. Capital, basically financial services firm. We don't need to go into any more detail on that. They uh, collapsed. They collapsed in March. But the big story is Dave, Dave Cameron was sending texts to Rishi Sunak last year in April, just after coronavirus hit, begging for cash for Greensill. Mm-hmm. Because this company, as pretty much every company in the land, apart from Amazon and Tesco, were struggling and they needed cash. So the government had a series of bailout uh, functions and facility, ca- facilities for companies and Big Dave wanted one for his new boss Lex Greensill and so there's been a lot of there's been a lot of um, allegations of sleaze and corruption and cronyism this week because you know you've got the ex-prime minister taking advantage of his connections i.e. Mm-hmm. to the current government who's the same party you know sending mm-hmm. text to the private number of the Chancellor of the Exchequer and yep. subsequently then securing like 10 meetings with the top two civil servants in in the Treasury and meetings with ministers in the Treasury. You know, all of these connections yep. that average Joe, even average FTSE 100 Joe, probably wouldn't have access to. Exactly. Lex Greensill, who previously was an advisor to Dave when he was in office and also yeah. a senior civil servant, civil servant was advising Greensill while he was also still employed by Her Majesty's yeah. government. The so... head of procurement, the head of procurement, the head it's... of procurement for the cabinet of cabinet office of civil service dodgy. was also an advisor to this company whilst in government. Now, first question is, why are you the head of procurement, the advisor to anybody? Like, you, 
you work for you work in government. I mean, and I actually think that MPs are allowed to have second jobs. That's a different story. I know you probably disagree with that too. But there we go. The head, the, the head of procurement for for you know for the cabinet for the civil service. Why is he also an advisor to a big financial services company at the same time? To me, that's ridiculous. I mean, um, I'm against second jobs for MPs in the idea that you know they shouldn't be also editing the Evening Standard a la George Osborne. That was after he but, resigned. That was after he left Parliament. Though. No, it wasn't. At one point, it was a little bit of a crossover. Thank you very much. He okay, was like, yeah, and then he, days. yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. All right, I'm fair Because he was trying to see if he could do both and they were like, you can't. Yeah, but fair all, Like, you know, paid speeches, fine. As long as they're public, you know, they're open to the public. Yeah, that's so what I'm talking about. They're recorded. Jobs. That's fine. You should not be advising anyone who is trying to go out and get um, contracts from the government. I mean, the conflict of interest is ridiculous. I know yeah. what's his name, um, Andrew Adonis talked about when he was a uh, minister, he had to divest himself of all the shares that he had, et cetera, et cetera, because again- So you should. As- exactly. And yet this government is not, I mean, Matt Hancock has shares in the company that is receiving an NHS contract from the Welsh government, I just, and everybody else who's a shareholder in the company is a relation of his. Yeah, I think it's I think if you are an MP, violent. like maybe maybe you shouldn't divest of everything, but there should the rules as they are do not stand up to scrutiny. And that's that that's another thing about that's well that's the one that's probably the main thing about this whole story is that Cameron probably didn't actually break any rules, much less no, any he laws. Didn't. Um, he did he, say he, that. He followed. He followed. The, he followed the rules and the, and the law to the letter, but the argument is just definitely not to the spirit. So there is a ban. Uh, you cannot be a lobbyist if you've been an MP. You can't be a lobbyist for two years after you leave Parliament. So here's the joke: David Cameron left in July 2016. When did he start working mm-hmm. for Greensill? August July 2018. 2018. Okay. So two yeah. month, two years, and one month basically a month after he had to report it um exactly. you know I, I think two years i guess okay fair enough for prime minister i think if you're in the cabinet at that kind of level you should be lobby you shouldn't be lobbying for five ten years if ever two yeah. years is ridiculous it's like i understand because obviously it makes sense for ex-mps to be lobbyists i mean yes you're, that's what it, that's what lobbying is it's like using your connect it's networking using your connections to get what your employers want but the conflict of interest is too much like you know this isn't facebook and google this is Mm. the government the levers of power at you know a state level so so a big thing about this story is the fact that like you said there should be there should be a way about doing it. And that that's and that's one of the big things about another big thing about his story is it's the way he did it. You know, and he's acknowledged this in his statement that he brought out this mm-hmm. week. Um, you know, that it shouldn't be a, you if you're going to be if you're gonna be a former MP, a former minister, whatever, and then you're gonna be working, as I said, technically he wasn't a lobbyist. That's the other thing he did. So um he because he wasn't a he was an employee and not a lobbyist that also meant even though the two years was passed but it also meant then that um he didn't have to register as a lobbyist because he was an employee that's why i said it was important so he, before that yeah. he was an employee so again that's another way yeah that's another thing where okay yeah that's not there's nothing illegal about him being an employee but it's like okay why are you an employee because you you're, you're not there as somebody said this week he wasn't brought there because he was a pr guy 15 years ago 
when he, before he, he was, was an MP. There he was brought in because he was an ex-Prime Minister. So you're clearly there the in a lobbying capacity. Nick Clegg was brought in because he was the ex, um, the ex-Deputy Prime Minister for the yeah. head of Commons. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing about it. As I was saying, um, it, it was There's the way he went about it. public money. Yeah, and there, there are channels... Know, there are channels, you know, he's supposed, there are, there are ways of doing it which don't involve sending a text to Rishi on his private number. You know, that, that just doesn't scream transparency, does it? And that's the point. Direct line to the Chancellor. Do you know how mad that is? Yeah. The level and, of access is insane. Mm. And he's like, yeah, he was going to, he'll push for it. The next, do you know how crazy? I bet. It's mad, it's mad, it's mad, it's mad, it's mad. It's ridiculous. Like what's happening, Rishi? Or what's happening, Rishi? What's happening? <laughs> what's happening? The Chancellor to push through your company receiving government loans and then going bankrupt, which now also means that there's five thousand jobs that may be lost, mm-hmm. and we ain't getting the the um the taxpayers not going to get that money back either. So the thing about that is as well. Another thing about this story, you know, this is this story is a gift that keeps on giving. It wasn't just mm. that he was lobbying for government bailout for a company he worked for. He also had share options in that company. <laughs> share options which would have been worth tens of millions of pounds. So yes, he was trying to get money for the company, but mm-hmm. obviously as as a as a shareholder in the company, his share options in going forward if the company had survived could have been worth up to i believe 60 million pounds tens of millions of pounds was on the line here i mean if tens of millions is on the line for me i'd probably send in a message to the chancellor too but the point is you shouldn't be in that but you should not be in that position where you are putting you are sending you are you are allowed to be sending whatsapp messages to the chancellor but also you're sending whatsapp messages to the chancellor and the the chancellor should be like i hear you brother but this is, we, I can't, we can't do it this way. It all has to be above board. Rishi should have said, new phone, who this? Here's the email for the Treasury office. Exactly. Let's go email through them. the proper channels. <laughs> and at most, I'll fast track you through the proper channels. No, you know, no so not you even won't that. Be, no, but, no, but I'm saying, like let's, be, like, let's be honest, okay? If these, you, you do it above board, but instead of, you know, you're not the 15th in the pile, you know, you're number two and do it that way. But whether you get a yes or a no, I can't influence that decision. What it shows lack of judgment on on Rishi's part as well. Somebody who's quite clearly gunning for um, PM at some point. What sort of decisions are you going to be making once if once if he gets further up the food chain? Not that there's he any further smart, to go other than PM. He was smart though with this because obviously he's got ambitions to be prime minister and he's you know at the minute probably one of the, in the definitely top five names. But he was smart with this too because. He, as I said, this has been this has been rumbling for the past sort of month, well three weeks, but really kicked off mm-hmm. this week. But he dropped them text messages. He dropped those WhatsApp messages, and he, he Rishi screenshotted the, the, and put them out there about three weeks ago, which is a it smart move. It was a FOIA request. It was a FOIA request. He didn't do it of his own volition. Oh, did he not? It was a freedom of information oh. request. Yes. Okay. Well, he just, however, he no, acted, how, okay. Got okay. on his high horse and pretended right. that he did it of his own volition. It was not. All right. Fair news, fair news. I got suckered with that. However, however, um, because they were to his private phone, he could have challenged that. So he didn't have, he, even though it was a freedom of information request, as you say, I'll defer to you, to you saying that because they, because it was to his private number, again, this, calls into question why Cameron messaged his private number did Cameron know that he did he you know the rules because because it was said to his private number maybe Cameron knew that he wouldn't have had to release them so again he did it's back he released them but he did release them 
to his private number, so he could have probably challenged it, but he didn't again. But he's got out ahead of it because now the story isn't about how the chancellor helped an old threat, an old, an old uh, prime minister. Now it's just about Cameron, and that's it. Yeah. So and now there's this well. new, new inquiry and investigation, and uh, Boris is going to. Uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm intrigued to see what Boris is going to decide to do to Dave. Um, well, he's not do anything gonna... because the thing is he's not broken any rules although this and um, the inquiry that the inquiry will probably just look at the inquiry let's be honest will probably just tweak the rules around lobbyists being a lobbyist or registering it's probably just going to tweak something because again you got to think about it at the end of the day all 650 mps are probably looking to the day when they're leaving and what can they do they're not going to have Absolutely. their hands tied to an extent where they can't be earning big cheddar so no, all it's going to do that. is maybe tweak the rules, maybe maybe you know maybe come out with suit some 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 code of conduct or something that doesn't really change anything. I think that's all that's going to happen. I think it's important to say that you know you did say that Keir finally brought up cronyism in um, PMQs. Mm. I mean he's been quiet on it for the most part when it was coming out that Matt Hancock's dishing out to every person he's met along the way, every acquaintance and random person that he had a drink with in the pub he's given NHS contracts to. Then his did pub landlord, say? his local pub landlord got a contract, didn't local he? Local pub landlord got a contract, you know. Maybe his neighbour's aunt's dog got one as well. Who knows? Because Keir Starmer said he just shouldn't be resigning. So we can't even look to the opposition to be providing any sort of scrutiny. And the media has been really falling down on the task. To be honest. And then something came out this week about Hancock. His sister, like his sister's company, got some NHS contract. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like... Yes, sister's got an NHS contract. He's got shares in the company. It's just shout out to Bywire News for breaking that as well. I mean, honestly, what is everyone doing? What is going on here? They're really I mean... just using COVID to transfer money, public money, to make private wealth. It's a bit. It's very booky. I don't like it. I don't like it. Okay, so for Across the Pond this week, we are focusing on St. Vincent and the Grenadines. If you don't know, there has been a volcanic eruption there or the volcano La Soufrière. It has erupted a number of times now. It's not a lava producing volcano, but it is producing smoke, tremors, a lot of um, ash. The island is covered in ash and it can be quite toxic people have been evacuated from the main regions in the north in the red zones um they've been taken away on cruise ships they've been taken away on boats to the surrounding islands um there is also a gofundme set up which we will put a link for on our socials there's a gofundme set up between the saint vincent high commission um, just, you know, asking for support. There's uh, lots of funds that you can send money to or barrels or asking for key items as well. Yeah. But the devastation is um, quite disheartening to see. I know a lot of us do have a family in the Caribbean and you know we're all very much interconnected. So it's been good to see the diasporic community come together to provide support, but it has been very troubling to see. Some people may not be able to go home for years. Yeah, um, or or ever, or if they do, having to rebuild mm-hmm. because some home some homes have been, you know, homes have been just the sheer weight of the ash, uh, as as an example, has has crushed roofs on homes. So so yes, in the north part of the island, there you know a lot of people are displaced, thousands of people are now displaced, in as you said, either 
uh, other islands and also shelters sort of further south in the island where people have been put in temporary shelters. So the as you were mentioning, there's a GoFundMe page which has been set up uh, by, I believe, UK SVG Trust. Uh, they're all, mm -hmm. So they're linked to the St. Vincent High Commission in the UK. They've gone past, I was just checking it before, they've gone past £170,000 now. Uh, so that's really that's really increased quite rapidly in the past few days. I think at the start of this week, it was up at about 50,000. So, so yeah, 170,000 pounds so far. Uh, I know a big shipment went across yesterday, Thursday, the 15th yeah. of April. And I believe there's another one scheduled for, I, believe the I think the 21st, which will be next week, Wednesday. So that's uh, shipments of goods. So we'll put all the links to those in the show notes uh, where you, know, you can see specifically what people are, are looking for obviously dry goods water a lot of sanitary products too yeah um the uk government have pledged uh an initial an initial two hundred thousand pounds on monday mm -hmm. um two hundred thousand pounds while they're also asking if we should refurbish a yacht for nine 190 million in remembrance of prince philip who was you know a prince of the commonwealth so i think we should donate 190 million in his name Listen, the queen, the queen is still the head of state of St. Vincent. St. Vincent's head of state, St. Vincent has a queen. The queen of St. Vincent is her official mm -hmm. title in St. Vincent. Um, oh. So this, this country needs to be, that initial needs to, needs to, needs to really mean what it says. It needs to be an Ramp initial, needs to be a very small down payment um, of, of, of aid. You know, Send some physical if, aid. If, if, if the country's still claiming the Commonwealth, claiming to be head of state of all of these different far-flung countries, then, you know, pounds, cash, sterling. Okay, needs to dollar be, bills, we want that. Yeah, needs to be sent now because people are really suffering. As I said, people's homes, uh, farms. I was reading before, mm -hmm. there's, a, a, there's also a, a St. Vincent newspaper I'll link to. You know, you can check that online. There are loads of articles there. You know, farms are being destroyed out there. There's cr crops, like yeah, people's so livelihoods, much crops, livelihood. have disappeared. Their food sources, their you know immediate food sources, gone. Yeah, uh, it's also electricity other has been too. intermittent as well. Water and electricity mm. has been intermittent. It's been in and out. So all those sorts of things, people are you know at risk. It's really bad because the ash is that bad that it's uh, somebody described it as. I think somebody out there described it to the newspaper as, you know, if you're from a country that has heavy snowfall, think about it as, think of the ash that's been built up as somewhere that has heavy snow. People are saying in some places the ash is coming up to people's knees. In some places it's three foot deep. And that's also hampering rescue efforts and, and aid delivery efforts to people who are still sort of stuck behind in the red zone. Mm. Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who did not leave. Some people stayed. Yeah. Uh, so far, it seems there's been at least one death reported as a result of direct result of the, of the volcano. It appears that a, a man stayed home or no, no, he went to a shelter, then went back home. And I think it was due to inhalation of the, you know, the sulfuric. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, it's really sad. And it's affected other island, neighboring islands too. Uh, Barbados. Yeah. I was speaking to a friend of Barbados. They're having to, there's a lot of sort of ash cleanup, but yeah, St. Vincent is the primary place where it's really, really affecting people to, to drastic levels. As he said, people losing livelihoods and homes. So it's important that we help. It's important that aid is sent. They don't know when there's been, there's been quite a few eruptions since the first one last week. So mm -hmm. there's no real end date on this at the minute. They, 
there could be more eruptions. There was an, there was another one today, and they, 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 they could be more in the coming days and potentially even weeks. For my thought of the week this week, I wanted to skip back across the pond. It is the third week of the trial of Derek Chauvin, who was the police officer who knelt on George Floyd's neck last May. Uh, that trial will soon be coming to a close. And as that trial is going on, there have been two more highly reported incidents of police interaction with black people in America this week. Um, one case, fatal, where an officer is now saying that she mistook her gun for a taser. And another case where a man who is in the US Army, a lieutenant in the Army, in full, in his full combat uniform, was driving and was accosted by a police officer to just crazy levels. So I think it, you know, having having those things happen in the week when the for for the trial of the most highly publicized event last year, or one of the most highly publicized event last year going on, I think is just a bit of a I guess a sad, sad, power, sad symmetry. But I think also what this trial says to me and what's happening now is that it's really important to follow, follow up on things. You know, obviously we don't all have time to be tracking every single piece of the news. You know, we, would, we wouldn't do anything mm -hmm. else with our lives if we did. But I think it's really important, especially for a case that received such high visibility last year, that people are following at least even, even on, a, a, on a headline level, what's going on, because it can be, you know, when these things happen, it can be very draining. It is draining, you know, it's draining for people uh, to just realize that, you know, it's happened again, something's happened again. But, mm -hmm. you know, following the whole process through and hopefully then even seeing justice, you know, the few times where justice is served is, a, is, is it can be cathartic. And it, and I think it's something that's important to, to, to do because when the inevitable happens and something else happens again, very similar, it's something to look back on and say, well, you know what, when the last, when the last one happened, there was some kind of process. And, you know, in this case, it might be a, a thing where the process ends up with justice actually being served. So I think both in terms of having the integrity to follow through what we may be shouting about at the time, I don't say, and I don't say shouting in a, in a, derogatory way but something that we're, we're vocal about let's say at the time following through something that we're vocal about to the end there's there's an element of integrity to it but there's also an element of it breeding hope for for the future as well so yeah i would just encourage people to follow these things through uh you know keep abreast of the news even at a headline level just to just to see where where everything goes thanks for listening Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at NotBamePod. That's N-O-T-B-A-M-E-Pod. If you've got a comment or a suggestion for a future show, email us, notbamepod at gmail.com. And if you're listening on iTunes, give us five stars.